The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello, and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. On today's show, we're going to hear more about safer supply. Canada's National Safer Supply Community of Practice held another in its series of webinars on November 25th, this one entitled Mobile Safer Supply Programs, Meeting People Where They're At. We're going to hear from some of the panelists. A group of practitioners from Parkdale Queen West Community Health Centre in Toronto, Ontario, presented on the topic of Mobile Safer Opioid Supply Program, an innovative harm reduction approach. We're going to hear now from Pranitha Mahindan, NP, Delina Dang, NP, Madison Joyce, RN, and Hannah Levitt, Case Manager. Uh, today, we will be providing an overview of our mobile program. We will, we will discuss some program demographics and early themes, successes, and challenges that have emerged thus far. Um, in general, during the development and expansion of SOS programs, many systemic harms have surfaced. For example, attachment to safer, safer supply is generally inaccessible due to the extremely limited capacity of programs. There are also a limited number of providers who deliver the service. Uh, we also know that barriers are increased when individuals are precariously housed or unhoused and struggle with the social determinants of health that impact their access to adequate care. Individuals in shelter settings experience greater factors in healthcare uh, due to rigid shelter rules and regulations and the frequency of discharges and restrictions in shelter spaces. Um, thank you, Delina. Now I'll talk a little bit about the mobile SOS program here at Parkdale Queen West. Initially, we thought we were the first mobile SOS program in the province, but that honor goes to the London Intercommunity Health Center, who started their mobile program in 2020. At Parkdale Queen West, our mobile SOS program launched not too long ago in November 2021. So we are quite a new program in operation for one year. Our program consists of two NPs, myself and Delina, one registered nurse, Madison, and one case manager, Hannah. Being mobile, we provide our services in shelters, sheltering hotels, respites, and recovery sites. We also help our clients navigate the healthcare system and link them to wraparound services, such as case management and counseling support. By meeting clients where they are at, our program aims to increase client retention in our SOS program and minimize the no-show rate, thereby ensuring client engagement. When clients are engaged with us, we are better able to support clients to achieve their goals, including decreasing or eliminating their use of toxic street opioids. By meeting clients where they are at, we hope to lessen the effects of a fractured healthcare that unhoused and precariously housed folks encounter. For example, a client may be receiving primary care and case management support through a sheltering hotel, but those services are abruptly stopped if the client were to be discharged from that site. Our program aims to honor continuity of health and supportive care regardless of a client's degree of migration. Our mobile uh, our program is a response to the urgent demand of people who use drugs for a safe alternative to the toxic street supply. We provide access to pharmaceutical opioids of known quality, quantity, and strength. In our program, the safer opioid is hydromorphone of 8 milligram tablet formulation. It is important to note that our program is absolutely not abstinence-based. We work with clients to achieve their goals. And if their goal is to reduce rather than eliminate their use of street opioids, then we will work with them to achieve that. This is in line with our philosophy to support clients to lead self-determined lives. Our team also provides education around harm reduction techniques, 
provides harm reduction supplies, and promote the use of supervised consumption sites. All right. Uh, so at Parkdale Clean West, we're really, really lucky to have an extended team who operate harm reduction services in a number of the shelter, respite, and shelter hotel settings. And that's contributed a lot to our success as we've developed a streamlined referral process with these partners. Um, iFair and Launch, uh, formerly known as MOVID staff, have access to a simplified referral form and have knowledge of program eligibility criteria. Um, so they provide harm reduction supplies and education in a variety of these settings and are able to connect the interested and eligible folks to our program as appropriate. Um, historically, we've also had referrals from the COVID-19 recovery site and shelter operators who have reached out to establish referral pathways. Um, other clients have come to us through peer and self-referrals, as well as inter-team transfers from the fixed site teams who have indicated a preference for or whose needs are more able to be accommodated by the mobile team. Um, and through all of these referral pathways, an ongoing relationship with the referring partner is super key to ensuring client success in the program because they're able to coordinate and facilitate appointment times, reminders, and spaces for clients to be seen at the different sites. Um, so once a referral is submitted to our team, one of the clinical staff will be assigned to complete a screener assessment of the person referred to ascertain their eligibility. Um, the screener can be completed in person or via telephone and is facilitated by the referring party typically. Um, clients are screened for inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, and complexity-related information um, to triage them. And then our team meets weekly during our open referral periods to discuss capacity, determine eligibility, and triage the eligible referrals. And all of the members of the team are involved in that process. Um, so once a client's been identified as eligible and an NP has capacity to take them on, I make their chart, complete an initial Connecting Ontario review, and alert the NPs to enter lab requisitions. And then I work with the referral source to schedule their initial nursing onboarding appointment, uh, which can be from like 45 minutes to like an hour and a half in length, depending on client complexity and a number of other factors. Um, that nursing intake, the first part uh, involves collecting a detailed health history, including mental health, physical health and substance use history. And that takes place like usually at the shelter site. Um, so it's fun. You get to do it in like a little little hotel room sometimes. Um the second part involves a comprehensive physical assessment, uh, including collection of blood work and urine sample. Um, and it also involves the assessment of vital signs, oscillation of heart and lung sounds, and specific physical assessment of triggered. And then finally, we collect the consents for collaboration with shelter staff um, and releases of information for obtaining collateral health information, provide the clients with contact info, troubleshooting pointers, and an opportunity to ask any questions that they may have about the program. Um, and then following the nursing intake, I'll alert the team of any contraindications that have come up, uh, corroborate the info on Connecting Ontario, and fill out the remainder of their chart. Um, so once that's been completed, uh, clients are scheduled for an intake with the NP when their blood work results are back, and a case management intake follows their NP intake. Largely similar to other things, just in a shelter. So for the case management intake, I meet with the client after they've connected with the nurse practitioner and completed the assessments with Madison. The case management intake is client-led and is geared towards what the client is looking to work on. I do have a list of points I address in the intake to get a sense of current supports the client has or areas where they might may be looking to grow. Sometimes support can look like renewing ID, appointment accompaniments, or connection to legal representatives, and other times it can look like completing taxes and housing applications. Within the intake, I do ask questions that I've noticed can sometimes be overlooked such as dental appointments, foot care, or hearing and eye appointments. Not everyone is looking for case management supports, but I do try to make an effort to connect with each client and extend the welcome to anyone who may be looking to expand their support network. 
So to date, we've received 129 referrals across Toronto since November 2021. Uh, we do not have a catchment area within the city and therefore meet with clients at any shelter or respite they may be staying at. Currently, we have 50 clients enrolled in the mobile SOS program and have discharged six. Of the 129 referrals, four clients were declined due to preference for opioid agonist therapy, and six clients were transferred to the base SOS teams after securing housing. We've had 18 clients ineligible for mobile due to meeting exclusionary criteria, and 19 clients weren't interested in staying on the program. We do our best to try and locate clients who have been referred and lost to follow-up or sleeping rough or sleeping at various friends' places, but we have had 24 clients who we've been unable to locate and see if SOS is still for them. Once a client is discharged and no longer has an active prescription, they can still receive two months of wraparound support, either with case management, counseling, or referrals to specific programs. Amongst our 50 clients, 37 or 74% identify as men, 12 or 24% identify as women, and we have one client or 2% who identifies as non-binary, and a total of 4% of our clients identify as trans. Within the 50 active clients, a total of 38 or 76% are white or non-BIPOC, nine clients or 18% are Indigenous, two clients or 4% are Black, and we have one client or 2% uh, who is a person of color. So data collection has allowed us to have a comprehensive qualitative picture of how the mobile approach to SOS is benefiting our clients. Um, our clients endorse reduced spent use, fewer overdoses and trips to the hospital in general, more and higher quality connections to primary and preventative health care, better connections with social support networks, and more money to be able to spend as they see fit. Um, clients also identify not being dope sick and having to rely less on illicit methods of obtaining substances as benefits as well. Um, and poignantly, clients have identified being still alive as a major benefit of the mobile SOS program. Even though our program is in its infancy, uh, we have encountered our share of successes and challenges. Um, some successes include providing a low barrier model of care to clients by meeting the clients where they live and being as accessible as possible. Our clients know that uh, they can call our team directly rather than going through the main switchboard, for example. Uh, we found that once the client has met every member of our team and has an active prescription, the retention and engagement rate is quite high. Beyond SOS, we connect clients to primary care, hep C treatment, and wraparound services such as case management, counseling, and health navigation. In terms of challenges, the first two points, working with shelter operators and promoting SOS as harm reduction, are somewhat related. We've encountered some challenges in terms of lack of knowledge around SOS as a harm reduction response to the ever-increasing toxic street supply crisis. It is important to note that we are not treating opioid use disorder, but rather reducing the harms associated with a toxic street supply, and we've had to educate some shelter operators about this. Furthermore, we found in some instances, shelter operators are not as client-centered as they should be. For example, clients will be discharged from a shelter hotel with little to no notice for minor infractions, and we've advocated as best as we can to have that client stay in the home they've known for the past several months or transfer to another location rather than be discharged onto the streets. And the last point, following clients after discharge from the shelter system is something we are encountering more and more of, especially with the closure of the Esplanade Hotel and clients being told to vacate by no later than December 6th. To continue seeing clients, we've had to transition to providing care at our Queen West site. 
We have clinic space booked a couple of days per week, which has allowed us to continue providing care to clients no longer in the shelter system. This is an example of how we've had to adapt to changing scenarios to ensure continuity of care for our clients. Uh, Looking into the future, our mobile team will be offering hepatitis C management. Uh, We have found that many of our clients have hepatitis C. However, connecting the clients to hep C programs has been challenging as the clients tend not to show up for these appointments. So we thought by offering hep C treatment in-house and within the same SOS appointment, we would cut down on those barriers. In addition, our program is only a year old, so we would like to continue to collect data through questionnaires and chart reviews to evaluate the outcomes and client concerns to inform and shape our program. For connecting with mobile teams, we have had an opportunity to mentor and learn from other mobile teams, such as the Mobile SOS Program at South Riverdale CHC, who are here with us today, and the Inner City Health Associates, who have recently started their own mobile OAT and SOS program. We look forward to continue to work with these teams to learn from and support one another. For the Mobile Advisory Committee, uh, base team clients at our organization have been involved with the advisory committee, where they share their thoughts, concerns, and recommendations on how to improve the SOS program based on their lived experience. As our program expands, we are aiming to include mobile SOS clients in the advisory committee as well. And for closing thoughts, we want to iterate that our program is an extension of harm reduction and not meant to be addiction, uh, uh, addiction treatment. We are not abstinence or recovery based. We prioritize the voices of people who use drugs. Our mobile SOS program is a response to the ever-increasing toxic street supply and the need to provide low-barrier care to address this crisis. And with that, uh, that ends our presentation. Thank you. You just heard Pranitha Mahendan, NP, Delina Dang, NP, Madison Joyce, RN, and Hannah Levitt, case manager with the Parkdale Queen West Community Health Centre in Toronto, Ontario. They were speaking on the topic of Mobile Safer Opioid Supply Program, an innovative harm reduction approach. You're listening to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Let's get back to the National Safer Supply Community of Practice webinar, Mobile Safer Supply Programs, Meeting People Where They're At. London Intercommunity Health Center's Brandy Tapp, NP, and Lynn Hughes, Integrated Health Manager, spoke about health outreach mobile engagement, reimagining health care for people deprived of housing. Uh, so the home program is made up of actually five agencies. We provide a multidisciplinary, multi-sectoral mobile approach to health care for those who have barriers to care and who are living unsheltered in our community. It's a partnership between us here at the London Intercommunity Health Centre, CMHA, Thames Valley Addiction and Mental Health Services, uh, the London Cares Homeless Response Team, Middlesex London Paramedic Service, and the Regional HIV AIDS Connection. So the aim is to engage individuals who face barriers to accessing traditional models of care and to develop service provider capacity to overcome systemic barriers in providing harm reduction, of which SOS is a huge part, uh, and stabilizing healthcare, and of course, comprehensive care and social services. As we all know, um, the pandemic just really exacerbated the current opioid crisis, and it hit the community in ways we couldn't have imagined. Uh, restrictions began to happen in terms of services available to pull to people facing barriers. And we thought, what can we do to reduce some of those barriers and re-engage with those folks who are lacking those critical supports? Um, We know coming out of the pandemic that homelessness is increasing. 
uh, that the healthcare system's under immense pressure, and that the folks we serve that are living on the streets are, are so, a lot of times just without access to basic supports. So we said, look, what if instead of talking about hard to reach patients, what if we started talking about how it is that people experience hard to reach doctors or hard to reach services, right? Or a system that has attitudes of stigma and oppression towards the, the population that we're serving. So we operate on a couple of different um, uh, tenants, and that is that we feel that the people who use substances are the experts in their lives. Uh, we wanted to reduce um, barriers or have no barrier care. We operate exclusively or inclusively through a harm reduction lens, and it's really participant-centered and participant-led care delivery, and it's non-punitive. We don't, we work and surround people uh, who have goals in their lives. We are not making any suggestions to them about what they should be or shouldn't be doing, but rather are present in their lives to walk beside them and provide them the supports that they require. So we provide medical care, triage assessment, episodic care, prescribing, wound care, flu shots, uh, infections, treatments. Uh, we have an outreach team that works alongside the clinical team to provide harm reduction support, equipment supplies, information, education. We uh, really do a lot of relationship building uh, and engagement. We do infectious disease testing, both hep C and HIV. Um, and we do a lot of, we have a systems navigator assigned to the home program. So we do a lot of systems, now healthcare system navigation, linkages, referrals. Um, uh, accompaniment uh, for clients to support them accessing appointments. Um, and we try and support and we're building relationships with local hospitals to support our folks accessing and staying in hospital with the medications they require if they need to be in hospital. So some of the other things, social service systems navigation, we do assistance with forms, uh, ID, housing, income supports, uh, provision of basic needs, uh, food, in the moment, hygiene products, uh, clothing, again, referrals in real time as needed to agencies or community partner services. Um, we also do peer support and referrals to recovery community if that's what people are interested in doing. So the way we're operating currently is we have a team available five days a week. Two days a week, we have folks who will be out on a bus. It's a 24-foot bus that we have just had delivered. Uh, we'll have a prescriber, usually Brandy, along with a couple of paramedics, a nurse, some systems nav, couple of outreach workers who are uh, on site and then fan out to find folks in community. Um, and then three days a week, we have a very nimble and responsive team of nurses and paramedics who can do follow-ups, visit folks in encampments, meeting them where they're at to, uh, to provide health care, wound care, that kind of thing. Um, it's a mobile service. Um, we're trying to be as responsive as possible, given the nature of the current homelessness crisis. We have a couple of uh, fixed locations where we tend to send the bus, but as we work towards trying to stabilize folks who are still 
without housing and without shelter. We're trying to be a lot more responsive with input from our community partners in order to deliver services where they're most needed, where the encampments are. So looking at um, home in terms of how we provide safer supply. So to start, our bus um, is um, a fully outfitted medical clinic on wheels. So anything that we do in the clinic, I can do on the bus. Um, So we offer full wraparound primary care via home. um, And we have added to that um, safer supply. So because our our program was designed to reach and engage with folks who are unhoused or um, uh, tenuously housed and have limited access um, or no access at all to healthcare, and that's that's for myriad reasons, as as I'm sure you're aware, um, by having an opportunity to provide care to that community, we've also been given the ability to provide safer supply to folks who live rough, are unable to access the larger healthcare system, and would otherwise not attend a brick and mortar clinic. So we've put a lot of of work and time over the last 35 years in making our clinic um, accessible, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, sometimes no matter what what we do, uh, a brick and mortar clinic is just not um, psychologically, emotionally, um, or physically uh, accessible for some of our community members. Um, via home, our safer supply participants are distinct from our clinic participants. So we, we have safer supply um, participants who come to the clinic for care, and then we have safer supply participants who come to our bus for care. Um, and many of those differences are directly related to lack of access to meaningful health care. So um, some of the differences that we're seeing is that the f- Majority of the folks who attend home have minimal or no community level supports. So um, a lot of folks um, have no engagement whatsoever um, with any level of of support in the community from outreach workers to medical, mental health supports, um, housing supports, or or even any kind of financial support, including OW and ODSP. Um, We're seeing significantly more untreated um, or undiagnosed physical and mental health conditions, um, which, as you can imagine, are very problematic for for our patients. Um, uh, Increased illness and injury related to malnutrition, exposure, assault, and lack of access to clean water, Um, and decreased access to safe and clean gear because um, due to some bylaw concerns in the city of London. A lot of folks who live rough are having to move further and further away from the downtown core and minimal previous interactions with safe healthcare providers and pharmacies. So um, our approach to providing safer supply via our mobile clinic remains very similar to the approach that we take in our brick and mortar clinic. So we um, still aim for weekly or twice weekly appointments with no concrete appointment time. Rather, folks are welcome um, at any point during our six-hour home clinic. Um, we aim for six hours, sometimes a bit more than that. Because our bus is, is a, a full, fully stocked medical clinic that lets us provide wraparound primary care services, um, 
we we can offer in addition to stay for supply, just like we do in the clinic, full medical care. And that includes lab work, minor procedures, uh, preventative care, such as pap smears, ordering mammograms, referrals. Um, our medical outreach team, <clears throat> which provides street level care Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that consists of RNs and paramedics, are able to connect with um, our home patients, requiring additional supports on the days that our bus isn't operating. So we provide um, safer supply via health outreach mobile engagement through a client-centered, team-based, and comprehensive approach. We follow the same principles, guidelines, and protocols as our clinic-based program. Um, and we are absolutely seeing um, the same positive patient health outcomes and psychosocial impacts, such as reduced risk of overdose, um, poisoning from a toxic street supply, infectious disease transmission, incarceration, and death. We just have some, some quotes from some of the folks that receive care via the bus. We recently released our um, statistics, our record keeping um, for the period of January 11th, 2021 to January 10th, 2022. So in that 12 month period, the home program saw 1,059 unique patients um, 71% of those folks came once and 29% um, accessed care two or more times. Uh, 1,175 non-essential emergency room visits were potentially prevented. <clears throat> um, and then 780 chronic, sorry, illness care visits were conducted. And uh, to add on to that, um, just some numbers around infectious disease care, uh, prenatal visits, um, and by emergency medical interventions, it's actually uh, what we mean by that is CPR or resuscitative uh, interventions. So the nice part about the team we've put together for home is that we have um, a mix of paramedics. We have two full-time paramedics for part-time, um, there's always one registered nurse on the bus, a systems navigator, and myself. So we have a, a real mix of um, backgrounds, experience, and skills, um, which I think is, is really beneficial to the program. And um, all 12 of those overdose responses were did have a positive outcome. I think this year we're closer for the overdose response number. Um, we've actually surpassed 30, unfortunately. So for the same time, the same twelve-month time period, um, client feedback survey respondents reported uh, also what what I see as as positive numbers. One hundred percent find it easier to access care, feel comfortable accessing care, um, would recommend, and have experienced improved well-being. Um, you can access uh, our home. Uh, web page and any other questions you may have. Um, I, I'm really excited when I get to talk about health outreach mobile engagement because I think it's a really revolutionary way of providing care and um, it's proven to be quite successful and proven to be really beneficial for our community, which is fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Brandy. Um, just wanted to uh, so. We're, we have approximately 300 rostered patients on our Safer Supply, Safer Opiate Supply program. 
And um, we don't limit access for our safer opiate supply patients. They can access us here in person at the clinic or if it's better for them and the bus is closer to where they are at in community, they're welcome to visit the bus as well. So we don't, there's no distinction or limit on where they can obtain their uh, safer opioid supply prescriptions. That was Brandy Tapp, NP, and Len Hughes, Integrated Health Manager. They're with the London, Ontario Intercommunity Health Centre. They were speaking on health outreach mobile engagement, reimagining health care for people deprived of housing. It was part of a National Safer Supply Community of Practice webinar entitled Mobile Safer Supply Programs, Meeting People Where They're At, which was held November 25th. The National Safer Supply Community of Practice has a lot of really, really terrific resources available on their website. You can find them at nss-aps.ca. And that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. This is for the Drug Truth Network. This is Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the Century of Lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. 